Ain't none of us John Carmack, and it's time for us to accept that. Welcome, strangers, to the show where we do all the dumb things. Downloadable concept! This week, I'm Fox, son of a son of a sailor. It's son of a preacher man, Talon Lee. I just want to know I have nothing to do with Paul Kelly at any point in my life. <laughs> and Jebel Gear 2, Sons of Liberty. Dragon, dragon. Wrestling fans might get that one. <laughs> I was so glad to learn that there was a second use of dolphin. That's, that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> dolphin? Is that anything like denching? Oh, denching. Oh, denching is the tier <laughs> above dolphin. You don't want to get denched. Because... Dolphing someone involves being an incalculable badass who can physically tear someone limb from limb. Denching is doing that level of ownage as a pensioner. (laughs) (laughs) Do I recall you discussing that Judy Dench is now the most permanent James Wan cast member? Because there's been like four Bonds and she's still been Q. She, she's M. M, If she was in one more movie, which she can't be. Aww. She's retired from them. Damn. But if she had been in one more movie, she would have been longer lasting than any character in the Bond franchise. She would have outlasted the longest of the Bonds, which was Sean Connery. And that's including his little extra bit at the end. Okay, okay. I, 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 uh, uh, Milady, Dame Judy Dent, if you were listening to this, I just want to say I would watch an M movie <laughs> that was all about you dealing with James Bond being a total fuckass. <laughs> I want to see that. This is my request to you. You know, Sean Connery did come back himself to to resume being Bond, so, I mean, yeah. it's not inconceivable that, <laughs> that yeah. she could come back as M. He's, uh, well, he's Sean Connery, so surely he should come back as James Bond's dad, who is also sick of him being a total fuckass. <laughs> Just this <laughs> ultimate fan service movie, where it is James Judy <laughs> Dench as M, sitting across in a smoke-filled room with a cigarette in her hand, looking at Sean Connery, who's got a pipe, and he's going, Yes. Yes, that James son of mine is quite the fuckass, isn't he? <laughs> Quack. Snake. Snake! Snake! What you been playing? That's fantastic. I think <laughs> that, that one's to you, Jeb. Right, yeah, that's right. Well, <laughs> to go along with the theme, I have been playing Dragon Ball Xenoverse. I have been building a Goku. It's a, it's, it's a game where you, uh, save the Dragon Ball timeline, which I know nothing about, but you, uh, <laughs> you create your, you create your Dragon Ball OC, and you use it to help Goku and his pals. <laughs> mm. I'm adjusting my glasses and holding my breath. I <laughs> I know way too much about the canon of a series that I technically don't really like all that much. Can I play a stately middle-aged lady Dragon Ball character who's sick of Goku being a total fuckass? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there's a real pattern developing here. <laughs> You've been playing Make a Goku. Yes, Just I like, have made a I have made a girl Goku, and that's like four. Go- you can actually do the missions with multiple Gokus at the same time. I had my my Dragon Ball original character, a Goku, and another Goku. That's like four Gokus. <laughs> You've been um, it's got multiplayer too, doesn't it? Yes, it does, but I've not tried it. I've just got to ask: Has this been falling under your Why Jeb Why hashtag? Actually, no. It's fun. <laughs> oh god. It's really good. I I don't know how. Look, the amount of 
different sources I have had coming to me and saying, have you heard of this game? It's startlingly good. <laughs> this is me. weird. <laughs> like, should... I, I have... Yeah. It shouldn't be good. I had to write about it just because... <laughs> it's one of those games that just because you can really tell the the people who made it really care about it, and it shows okay. through all it shows through everything else about it that makes it should be bad. I wish more licensed games had this level of care behind them. <laughs> Good point. That is particularly unusual for a licensed game, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I've talked about soul in games in the past, and from what I can tell, this game has the soul of Dragon Ball. It's kind of doofy, it deeply loves the medium it's coming from, the control mechanisms are apparently a little taffy, but broadly speaking, it's very, very true. It's so, Tal, you're going to join simple. up with your Dragon Ball OC from when you were 15? I didn't have a Dragon Ball OC when I was 15. I've seen drawings. Yeah, that was for someone else's fanfiction. Ah, okay. I did fan art for someone else's fanfiction. Was it a fusion of Trunks and Gohan? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. The, the fusion dances are emotes in the games. Each side of it, so you could actually do the fusion dance with your friends in the emotes. Do you get to fuse? Do you get to fuse? No, it doesn't actually fuse, but you can do the ah, dance. It also has all the Ginyu poses cool. as emotes. That, by the way, is... is <laughs> It's the thing that happened in Lineage 2, and I've never seen it in any other MMO. There must be other ones where it exists. But they made the dances so they matched up for the male and female characters of each race. So, like, if, oh, you, that's if you faced each other and did the dance, you looked like you were dancing together. Oh, wow, that's neat. It's a very different thing to, say, playing World of Warcraft, where, you know, you stand around and start dancing, and, you know, it's, it's fucking someone dan- doing the... What's that gimmick. fucking dance called? Carmel dancing. And <laughs> someone doing a Britney Spears dance, and someone just basically doing a pole dance. What about you? Talon, what you been playing? I mostly have not played many video games lately. I'm gonna level. I'm in that mental state where I've pretty much just gone back to doing the same couple of things I've been playing uh, recently. I've played more of the Korra game, I've played more of Police Quest, and finally gotten my essay of that done. Um, a lot of Magic the Gathering, alright? And it's mostly been Goldfishing Commander, because Commander <laughs> is an amazingly weird format, and you need friends to play Commander with, because playing Commander with randos is depressing. Oh, yeah? So when are we going to get on Mitko and play Commander? We should totally do that. Right now, let's do it. During the podcast. During the podcast. (laughs) See, the problem with Commander... (laughs) Shit, he's gone infinite with you, son Son of a bitch. That's part of the problem. One of the things that Commander has going wrong with it now in the online environment is the availability of certain cards in the card pool, and the power level of those cards means that pretty much everyone has fast mana, everyone has explosive mana, and you will usually see the same problem. Someone goes infinite. Does anyone on the table have any way to stop that? No? No. Alright, we get to sit here and watch one deck masturbate for 20 minutes while it gets around to killing all of us. That's exasperating. And especially because in Mitgo especially... You will see the same thing over and over again. You will see commanders who are made to do this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. One of the things I'm enjoying when I was playing commander more loosely was not seeing predictable game patterns. So some commanders like <laughs> Sisei, Yisar, I was going to say, you must be talking not about games involving me. Because while I love my Sisei deck, it is frustratingly predictable. <laughs> yeah. Sisei is an example of one of these commanders that's not... I don't want to say she's bad, because that makes it sound like I'm judging you, but she's frustrating to deal with. Hey, I I know this. She's frustrating to play. Yeah. Like, it, 
I, I still love her, but it's a complicated relationship because I see the looks <laughs> on the faces of everyone else at the table and I'm like, well, I have enough mana. There's no reason I shouldn't go get Elish no one. Yeah. And then Sorry. That's how it goes. Um, there's also a uh, red black man. is looking across the table going, you killed my commander without trying. I hate you forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> green black. Sorry, not green black. Uh, the, the black red commander, Grenko, prison warden. I don't know that one. Um, he's... X, a red and a black for a 2-2 goblin that gets X plus 1 plus 1 counters. And he has 2 mana, put the bottom card of your library into your graveyard. If it's a creature card with less power than Grenko, put it onto the battlefield. Huh. She's the one from Conspiracy, right? That's an odd piece of work. Yeah, he's from Conspiracy. You build Ah. a Grenko deck, it forms itself very easily. You find the value that Grenko has to have... All the equipment that makes him really, you know, makes his power <laughs> higher. And then you literally do nothing for the rest of the game but sit there activating his ability you at the end of your opponent's You have such a formulaic turn. approach to deck building. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it makes Grinko really boring, even though he's very reliable. I see. I think part of the, the, the problem with Commander is uh, the ready availability of tutor. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There are just so many tutor effects that even if you're restricted, even though you're restricted to technically one of any card, you can easily have five or six different ways to fetch it. Yeah. Or just have a commander who chooses. In a single game. Yeah. Sisay and Which, I mean, it's really powerful, but it does make for stagnant games. Yeah. So, that's that's something I've been dealing with. Also, I have started uni again for the year, which means I started Digsy 310, which is digital gaming cultures. So for our very first assignment, for our very first day, the teacher pulled out board games and said... Sit down, form groups, play these games, and then write about them when you're done. <laughs> well, just in case anyone at home is thinking that you mean, like, Monopoly, tell us what board games you saw played. Well, let's see. One of the tables had Kings of Tokyo. One of them had Carcassonne. Right. Another one played Pathfinder's tabletop game, which they were there for three hours. <laughs> um, the table I was at, we picked up Story War, and then we played Takenoko. That's the one with the panda. That's the one with the panda. That is such a cute game. Takenoko, it is a beautiful board game. It is so aesthetically pretty. The tokens have this wonderful thickness to them. So when you when you're sitting there on your on your off turn watching your opponents and fiddling with your stuff, it has this wonderful clack 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 clack. <laughs> There's just nice. so much of that game that is beautiful to handle and hold. Anyway. So that's enough for me, though. That is very cool. Understand, for the end of this class, your final assignment is to make a game. We're going to make a couple of games, yeah. This is so rad. <laughs> I'm so jealous of this subject. What about you, Fox? Stop. What have you been playing? Um, I've been playing virtually nothing. I've been playing virtually nothing because I've been making a game. Oh, look at me, making a game. Ooh. Shut up! Did Better than making a Goku. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, oh, snap! There. <laughs> uh, Did yes. move! Don't you diss my girl, Goku. Well, you know, here's the part where I say what kind of game it is, and a bunch of listeners go, Oh, one of those not games. Not games are my favorite games. Well, I am making a visual novel, because it's NaNoWriMo. Uh, most of you have probably heard of NaNoWriMo, which is where you try and write a novel over the month of November. Uh, Nano Reno Reno comes from Ren I or Ren Pi, either way, um, which is referring to your dating sim romance type visual novel games. 
So, therefore, the idea is to make a visual novel over the course of March. Huh. I wish I knew that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not too late. We're only like five or six days in, aren't we? It's the seventh day of March. Whatever. That's a week. Go for it. <laughs> and, honestly, art assets are the thing that really slows down. Well, art assets are a time sink. Uh, definitely writing is a time sink. I mean, you... For a lot of us who aren't magic talent writing robots, uh, it's very hard to produce something unless you can put yourself in the right kind of mood and your abilities can just be extremely disagreeable with you. Yeah. Um, so I think that's what takes most people most of the time, uh, that and the art assets. Though a lot of people do it in teams, which is a, an entirely different kind of situation. It would be very easy to do if I only had to do artwork for the entire month. Anyway, but I'm doing a whole project because I'm also doing a workshop to teach people to use RenPy at the upcoming convention at the end of March. So I'm working it in together, going to do this little short project, um, and then going to run the workshop using that as an example. Anyway, uh, my game is not nearly the most exciting thing going on in this, though, because I have been over at the forums on Lamasoft, which is the... Uh, main community for using RenPy in English, and holy shit, the the amount of stuff that's coming up for this year's event and the quality of stuff, it's amazing. Can you tell us about any of those games? Yeah, yeah. I, I made some notes, actually. I made notes like a real podcaster. <laughs> Let's see. Things that stood out to me. Um, there's, okay, there's a lot of horror games. There's always a lot of horror games come up with uh, low resource works. Um... And, you know, visual novel is actually quite a good medium for that. Uh, some of them that stood out, there's one where they're using the omniscient player perspective to actually be a, a sort of splinter personality or splinter idea in the PC's head, which may be like the vestiges of their evil mother's soul summoned by the occult, or might just be their own little psychoses. Sounds really interesting. I love that they're using that as an aspect of it. There's one which sounds like a fairly straightforward horror, uh, you know, suspense thriller kind of plot, but they've got this really fascinating art style going on where it's all done in shadows. Um, sort of, not not entirely silhouettes, but like negative space where the lines have been erased and you've only got the, the solid black areas where the colours would be. Yeah. Really cool, it looks amazing. Um, there is something... <laughs> Something that all my Twitter feed is going to be really into called The Blind Griffin, which is an urban fantasy thing, uh, but set in the Roaring Twenties, where your main character is a scrawny cross-dressing Asian girl in a speakeasy. Ah! Uh, this is stylish as fuck. So we're talking like Bacano with more representation. Yeah, pretty much. If you've ever wanted to play a game where you can chat with a uh, full-figured... Uh, black singer who also happens to be a, like, water mage or something, and, you know, boozing it up with the others. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I just, this game looks excellent, yes. Um, there's a historical piece about Yugoslavia during World War II. It's uh, experiencing living in the, the first free city in Nazi-occupied Europe, which, it, yeah, that's going to be heavy, but really interesting, and that's like... You know, seeing that idea come up, it's like, this really means something to the person who chose to write about this. This is going to be fascinating. Yeah, not to not to paint too broad a brush historically, but Yugoslavia is not a country with a lot of happy history. Is so, it? I mean, sure, my geographical... In, uh, well, Yugoslavia is not a country, is not a country anymore, anymore right? No. Yeah. 
I remember a lot of people in my primary school saying they came from Yugoslavia. Yeah. Um, so I, I didn't realize what had happened to it for a very long Yuga- time. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, yes, that's why they were in Australia, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see. There's a couple of fan games. There is a Mass Effect speed dating on the Citadel game. <laughs> I am so talked off about that. <laughs> talked off? Oh, because you, you were going to do Sass Effect. <laughs> I... Hmm? I just realized I should probably do Sass... Like, Sass Effect's you visual assets are really uh, well. Someone else is doing a Twine game, in fact. Then It's not dependent on a platform or a style or anything. Someone's doing a Twine game, which is a courtroom-style Ace Attorney-type thing. Uh, I believe it's called Monstrous Allegations or Habeas Corpses. <laughs> I knew you guys would like that one. <laughs> I appreciate this very much. <laughs> so they're saying they got you dead to rights? <laughs> you should drop onto the thread and make sure they use that one. <laughs> oh, there's one which is done in a, a deliberate uh, glitching kind of art style. Oh. So they've got oh. you know, taken graphics and... I think Andy McClure has been retweeting from this. May have been. It's about uh, a person's trans narrative, trans experience, expressed through the idea of of digital corruption. Uh, It's called Binary Distortion. That is indeed the game that Andy has been tweeting about. Yeah, Uh, Love to see what happens with that. Uh, Oh, there are at least two games which are about playing a villainous heroine snubbed for the throne of her kingdom who has decided she's going to basically set it on fire. Uh, one where she's trying to recruit a dragon to just burn all that shit down. Yes. And one where she's basically seeing someone else in her family get crowned ahead of her and deciding she's gonna fuck that shit up. This this episode is straying dangerously close to becoming the dragon special. <laughs> dragon, dragon. Uh, surprising number of them that have just made a point of mentioning uh, pansexual, asexual, genderqueer characters... Uh, a lot of racial diversity, which is really exciting because, you know, we, this is drawing from a genre which traditionally only has, uh, <laughs> ambiguously raceless, I guess is, is the state most anime characters are in. I mean, they're supposed to be Japanese. They don't actually look Japanese. They just have a generic sort of whiteness to them. In most translation and, uh, transition between the cultures, they are monoculturally white. Yeah. Like, they, you know, th- there are stories which are obviously set in a Japanese place and location and everything. In the translation, they more or less turn into Americans with Japanese words. Yeah. yeah. Shut up and eat your donuts, Ash. <laughs> Quite, indeed. Um, let's see. Oh. Oh, one which is a... It's like following the usual sort of romance novel build, but it's just a game about friendships because the main character is... Uh, they use the term aromantic. Oh, uh, which also happens to be about monster boys. So there's like a were tiger and just a, like a fancy butler with no head. <laughs> uh, what else was there? Oh, someone was an ogre. It's this, just really cool ideas. <laughs> that touches on something that I read recently. Uh, a writer I like quite a lot wrote a piece talking about how Saints Row 4 is a series of aromantic friendships where you can bang. That writer's a dick. I think that writer is a, deserves a lot more respect than he gets. Well, the romance scenes are exactly that, right? They're just one scene that, like, hey, suddenly the subject of sex comes up in this relationship and you try it out and then moving on. I believe the writer summarized it with, and like all good friends, they can fuck. <laughs> um, do I have anything else I should mention while I'm here? Uh, 
One game which is about pretending you have a boyfriend to stop your creepy-ass boss from making sexual advances at you, uh, which uses a smartphone-style interface inside the game. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. But I do hope that there is a special unlockable ending where you just beat the boss in the face <laughs> with your phone. I think the game, I'm not sure about this, but I think it is deliberately trying to make people aware of this kind of situation. Oh, ah. um, Which is there's good. There's a, a setup where the reason you get the job is because your best friend just scored a better job and wanted to get out of there and said, don't take this job. I don't, I don't expect it to go dark or anything, but it seems to have an awareness of that at least, and even if nothing is being done with it, it's good to see that kind of thing being involved in stories because that makes people aware of it on some level. Let me see. Canadian multiracial bisexual dad figure game. That one had a really nice cartoon style to it that wasn't explicitly anime. This is another thing. Lots of different art styles. Like, I I am drawing a very, very anime uh, visual style. A lot of people are doing different things. There's stick figures and brushwork and someone's basically doing photorealistic painting. Ah, that was in Sunrise, a diesel punk fairy tale. <laughs> Something else my Twitter feed is going to go crazy for, I suspect. I hope these I hope these all get finished. This sounds like a really good bumper crop of <laughs> Yeah, oh, look, if even half of these get finished, it's going to be a huge get. It, these are great. I'm really excited about it. I wanted to talk about it on the podcast this week because... This is the kind of thing that, you know, does go by without any notice from outside the community kind of thing. And people should know about this stuff. These are really cool ideas from people who wouldn't otherwise be able to make games and are going to get looked down upon for not being able to make gamey games. And we will be providing links to the forum threads. Yes, links for everyone. we'll be tweeting out links promoting each of these individual games, just so you know. Um... Anyway, I think I better stop talking about that because otherwise I'll just keep carrying on. So many good ideas. Check them out. Hit the links. Well, this is actually a really good week to talk about the barrier of entry of making games. Oh, yes? Because, well, there was this game developer conference thing in which apparently... What was it called? Uh, um, GD thing? I don't know. Anyway... <laughs> Epic Games walked up on stage on day one and said, Unreal 4 is going to be completely free to access. Drop mic. Hot damn. Then later in the day... Up until your first yeah, little yeah, bit. Yeah. Then Unity came up on stage and they said, Unity 5 is going to be free. Drop mic. Then Valve came in, picked up the mic and said, Source 2 is going to be free. <laughs> Drop mic. It's been a pretty good week for... If you're interested in getting into these development systems, they're... <laughs> lowering the barrier for entry. Well, Unity is the only one of those that's really surprising because Valve definitely have a vested interest in people making more games because oh, yeah. people are going to put those games on Steam. Yeah, there, there are clauses. If you make a Source that's, 2... That's, that's the requirement to right. use Source yeah, 2. Yeah, Source 2 is going to require Steam, so... It's like, oh, golly, I'm just... I, in order to use Source 2 for free, I have to put my game on the world's largest game market. <laughs> and you mean I don't have to compete on Greenlight? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't see the bad here. Yeah, GDC... Are you prevented from selling it through other venues? Yes. Okay. So Source That's 2 It's a little bit dickish, but understandable under the circumstances. And the asset store for it is kind of monstrous. Oh, asset... I didn't think of that. Hmm. Yeah. This is a really interesting development. But again, the same thing Same thing with Unity. Yeah. And with Unreal. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big deal. It, it is a big deal for people who want to get into the industry... Low-level, I'm going to use a word now, 
producage. Uh, uh, front ends, people who aren't part of a larger studio infrastructure, people who just want to fiddle around with it. These are good things. These are things that are worth your time to get into. I say, we know a very, very clever Unity developer we need to get on the podcast. That would be Louise, yes? That would be Louise. Yes. I was also going to say really good thing for game-making clubs, um, like the one we participated in at Uni, who yeah. often have the issue of, oh, well, we have you know three or four free game-making tools that are available to us, but if you didn't get uh, you know, Unity last time it was on sale, or if you didn't have XNA before Microsoft stopped supporting it, or whatever... But yeah. now you have... Look, even if there's nothing else, you just have those three to choose from. You still have three really strong choices there. And Unity has a dedicated 2D version now, doesn't it? Yeah. Rather than just having yes, a fake 2D sprites with 3D stuff. There's, there's a bunch of stuff going on right now to lower the barrier of entry. And in the spirit of NaNoWriMo, there are, right now, if you want to make a game, if you have an idea for a game, and there's something you can't do, chances are... There is a game system out there for you that will do the heavy lifting for you. If you want to write a story game, but you can't do visuals very well, look into Twine. If you want to do a game with a small amount of Python code, but mostly want to make it about script and dialogue, look into RenPy. Yeah, look, you virtually need no ability to code to use RenPy. You can expand it as well as you... Develop any skill with Python and you can make it do exciting shit. If you have no skill with Python, you can still make it do a visual novel, which is exactly what you're supposed to be there for in the first place. And then you have other systems like if you want to play a 3... If you want to make a a 3D object interacting kind of game or a 2D object interacting kind of game, you have Unity and you have... Like, you have Adventure... You have, sorry, you have a Game Maker Studio. There are so many tools available right now that you can, if you want look into them, and you will find something you can work with. Yeah, basically these days, if you want to make a game, you can make a game. The only questions are, what kind of game? And you look at the kinds of things that have been put out on even Game Maker. Yeah. uh, With with Hotline Miami, and I... Art of Theft, Risk of Rain. Look, every one of these is is looked down upon by people who program their own stuff, and, and, you know, (laughs) is letting the rabble have access to these things. But every one of these platforms we talked about has at least one really amazing example. Like, you know, RenPy, a lot of what gets made, a a lot of original English language visual novels, not particularly impressive work. On the other hand, Analog and Hate Plus were made in RenPy. As was Long Live the Queen. And I think Magical Diary? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you could point to extreme examples of a game without a lot of mechanical systems to it, in the form of analog and hate plus, or you can look at a game with the most absurd level of intricate, <laughs> interconnected numerical systems in the form of Long Live the Queen. And this is, this is, by the way, this is even taking an assumption we don't have to, which is people want to make video games. Oh, sure. Well, making physical games is, there's never been much of a barrier of entry in terms of the equipment to create the thing. It's true. But creating board games is like making a video game. The systems you're trying to do to engage people, to get people to think in terms of what's going on on the board and care about how things interact, that's the same thing. You don't have to code to make games. You Consider, we have had a long-lasting, Turing-complete game with microtransactions <clears throat> In the background of the video game scene for 30 years. And it's called Magic the Gathering. (laughs) 
we have these cardboard... Com- 20 years. 20, 20 years. 20 years, my bad. We have these cardboard computers. People have been making their own games for a long time, though. I yeah. mean, the the crop of tabletop games that aren't traditional board games that we have now doubtless came out of people just fucking about with cards with scribbles on them at some point. Uh, during the Killing Game Jam. You know, the just games in general always always crop up from from just well we're kind of bored uh curling was made invented by by people who had some rocks some ice and some whiskey <laughs> i love that third i thought element. you were going to say and some janitorial equipment no no i think i know one joke about curling <laughs> i know one thing about curling <laughs> i know that curling has a skip <laughs> I mean, uh, Curling is a very elaborate, very skillful sport. Look, I got bored and who... made a Sonic the Hedgehog board game one time. It was Look, a 3D I... board game. Oh. So I made like a like a witch's hat and covered it in green, which is a mountain. Then I put rings around it, like a cake, and each one of them was a separate level and you would move up. And when you got hit, you actually had to scatter your little ring tokens across the board. Like, you know, when you get hit in Sonic, they go boom and fall all over the place. That's very cool. Um... <laughs> no, I didn't ever finish this, but I had a lot of fun. <laughs> If you want to make games, there are resources out there we're going to be linking to and distributing some links um, for that this month. And Hell yes, get out there, make games. Your ideas are good enough to create. And ideally, talking with people who know more things about how to make things in these things. Yeah. Hopefully. And more importantly, if you make a game and it turns out shit, you don't have to worry about that. You can just make another one. Yeah. We'll be providing some links to good resources and assets on how to make some good stuff. Because chances are, if you're listening to this, you are a really interesting, cool person who is mostly shy about putting their own work <laughs> out there. And you deserve to be heard. That is our demographic, isn't it? Yeah. That's the other <laughs> thing. That demographic. That's the other thing about the uh, Renpai community <clears throat> that I wanted to note. The quality of free resources that people are giving out has oh, yeah. become amazing. Uh you know, I mean, it just builds up over time. There's an aspect of that. But stuff like, you know, people just releasing entire background music albums on Bandcamp and going, hey, you know, just just put in zero dollars. You can have it. You can use it in commercial stuff. Do what you want. Uh, and, you know, backgrounds and full character sets and interfaces and just people making shit available for free. You should go out and get it and make something. And now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news is fit to print for the first week of March 2011. Brought to you by the Origin Extra Gaming Sale. It's Extra Game Tacular. Alright, we have a pretty interesting crop this week in that we have some failures and some successes. So, Dragon Age 2. Fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. wow. <laughs> uh, you're not allowed to yell at me for getting them early anymore. Yep. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff, do you need your mic back? You've you got to stop dropping it like that. You're going to damage it, man. <laughs> yes. This week in 2011 is when Dragon Age 2 came out. You want to share us a little of your thoughts on Dragon Age 2 there, Jeff? <laughs> He's still laughing. <laughs> it's the bad one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the worst part of one of my favorite Aww. game series. Uh, they, they made it very Mass Effect-like. So all the levels, which are repeated maps, they're modular. So rather than designing a new look for this supposedly different mine you're going into, this just this door is locked, but this one isn't this time. Mm. And it also scales everything down from the the first 
the first Dragon Age was was set around saving a kingdom, saving the world, saving a kingdom, etc., etc. This one is set in a single city-state, so while you do have a lot more interesting personal reactions, connections with characters, what they do seems kind of irrelevant. <laughs> I'd probably fancy that, to be honest. I like games that are a bit more personal and a bit less monarchist. If they, if 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 Dragon Age just stuck with just being about interacting with the other characters, or Dragon Age Two, just about just being about interacting with the other characters, would be a lot better. Ah. But then, if they would have taken out the rest <laughs> of the plot, so what you're saying is Dragon Age Two should have been a visual novel. <laughs> yes, Dragon Age Two would have been a much better game as a visual novel. Brilliant. I Dragon Age Two is also somewhat noteworthy because. A lot of the stuff that went into it was more polished and a thoughtful approach was taken, but the level design, the ludic systems of the game were all compressed. So it doesn't have, so basically you could do a lot to fix Dragon Age 2 by adding assets to it. It's not like the game is fundamentally sick. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have an approach that you can use if you want to be lazy with level design. It's called procedural generation. Oh my god, can you imagine if they made a procedurally generated Dragon Age game? I remember what happened when they made a procedurally generated, uh, <laughs> a procedurally generated Elder Scrolls game. Yeah, that didn't go so well. Yeah, look, I'm... No, Dag- Daggerfall's, Daggerfall's, uh, dungeons did not work. Literally, did not yeah. work. It was entirely possible to start in a starting dungeon, which had no exit. Look, it's not like you couldn't make procedural generation work for that kind of game. And I'm not saying it would be better than carefully designed levels. But if you're going to be half-assed about designing your levels, you, you may as well have the entertaining randomness. Otherwise, you're just going to have meh. you got the worst of both worlds. Yeah, fair enough. All right, then. Instead of having Skyrim's boring dungeons, you can have Daggerfall's interesting but impossible. <laughs> well, if you ask people which one they'd rather play, you'd probably get an interesting variety of responses. I... Weirdly, I'd rather play Skyrim, but without going in the dungeons. <laughs> really, I want to chase butterflies. Really weird thing about about Dagger, no, uh, Skyrim for me is thinking about it. I don't know anyone who talks about it in terms of fun, except when everything goes massively cockeyed. I want a Skyrim mod where you go and catch butterflies, but you don't like crush them and use them as alchemical components. You you like gain their powers or something. You just walk around in a slowly growing cloud of butterflies. You catch them and then you just get a little medal and then you have costume options based on that butterfly or something. <laughs> All right then. Pretty butterfly Skyrim, make it happen. Okay. Almost sounds like Lily Child of Geos. <laughs> <laughs> Does a bit, doesn't it? I gotta check that out. Okay. Next up, we have a franchise game. He's we, looking at me. We have a franchise sequel. Uh-huh. Fire Emblem? No, it's what not a Fire Emblem again. Game. It's a PC game. 2011? We're in 2011. So not that far back. Franchise PC game. release. PC. My Sims. No. Damn. In fact, in tone, that's almost the exact opposite end of the oh. spectrum for this. Alright. 2011 is too early for Skyrim though, right? Yeah. It's a strategy game. Hmm. Crusader Kings 2? No. He's no. That, that's a more thoughtful, cerebral game than this. This is much more of your shooty bang real time strategy. <laughs> Starcraft two. No. Uh, I'm in the wrong but game for it's that, a, aren't I? Let's say it's a cousin of Starcraft two. It's a rip off of Starcraft two. Or possibly the other way around. Oh, this is a Warhammer forty K game. Is it one of the Dawn of War games? Yes! Warhammer forty K, Dawn of War Two. <laughs> 
Yeah. Is, uh, is that the one with the oddly accented orcs? Yeah. <laughs> it's one with a bunch of Manchester United fans doing orc voices. <laughs> that is literally the design d- design goal for for the orcs in 40k yeah. is soccer hooligans. And and to be fair, I've heard that uh, the Dawn of War franchise, as something that THQ iterated on very heavily, was pretty damn good at doing what it was doing. And it does oh, yeah. have... It- and it's developed. I enjoyed the first one very much, even right back from it when it was in beta. I liked the first Dawn of War a whole lot. And one of its developers gave one of the best quotes of advice I've heard, which is, cheat all you can, but never get caught cheating. Is that where that comes from? Yes. <laughs> that is fantastic advice. And for, from a guy making an RTS, that's absolutely important. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you can, it's, it's almost impossible to make a genuinely fair AI that provides a player with a challenge, so, Cheat all the places you can, but never make it look like you're cheating. Well, also, look, uh, okay, follow me here. Um, part of the reason that hand-drawn animations look better than 3D models when they're in motion is because you choose where to put lines instead of relying on a mathematical model to go, the line should go here. And I think difficulty works very much the same way, which is a fair experience isn't necessarily a fun experience. Like, there's no actual relationship between those two things except the the general idea that things should be balanced appropriate to the player but that's not the same as being fair that's being tailored which is almost the exact opposite of being fair like a totally objective game experience i don't see that working too well all right then okay we have an mmo mmo in 2011 it was a wow killer it did not kill that. <laughs> They're all wow killers. They're all wow killers. Uh, was this Rift? Or... Lord of the Rings Online? You're way late for, um... Like Lord of the Rings Online was well before 2011, but I'm afraid Fox just clocked it on this on the yeah. first game. It was Rift? Okay. It was Rift. Yeah, uh, I had a couple of players. 2011 was when I started playing Lord of the Rings Online, so... <laughs> yeah. I had a couple of friends playing that particular wow killer and telling me how great it was, and then very shortly, like a couple of months later, telling me how not... Well, it wasn't that great, really. They may have overstated its greatness previously. Yeah. Well, it had... That's kind of how MMOs work, though. They they tend to be front-loaded for that first sort of, you know, new player picks it up and goes, hey, this is really cool, this is different to other MMOs, and then it's not. It came out in March 2011, this week. That is noteworthy. It's also a franchise game. Yay! It's also a strategy game. It's not Fire Emblem. I know it's not Fire Emblem. 2011 is the wrong year for that. Oh, aren't you smart? Ah, fancy. You know what game involves a whole? You know what game involves a whole lot of strategy? Don't see. He's gonna say it. He's what, gonna say Jeb? it, and I can't stop him. It's inevitable. What Jeb? What game involves a whole lot of? Strategy? I hear the words begin to fall. Sid Meier's Civilization. <laughs> nice. No, it's not that. Um, it's a game that, thanks to fan work, occasionally has my friends talking about it disappointedly as, oh, it's not as gay as I remember. <laughs> what, now, now, are you sure it's not Fire Emblem? you sure Fire Emblem didn't time travel? <laughs> Wait, is it Loom? <laughs> <laughs> Loom didn't really have any gay opportunities. How would you know? Fleece could have had a girlfriend in her game. Just saying. Just saying. So, it... Not as gay as I remember. Not, not as gay as people remember. Um, 
Alright. It's not a Zelda. No, you said it's a strategy game. It's a strategy game. It's a turn-based strategy game. Oh, it's not an Atelier game, is it? No. No, that's not really strategy either. It's a turn-based strategy game with menu-based combat. Is it an Agarest game? No. Wow, you're thinking of much more obscure. This is like one of the biggest names in this fr- in this type of franchise. Uh, give us a console. Every single one of them has been a handheld. And it, it game feels Boy, gay, but it's game not Boy really Color, gay. Game Boy Advance, NDS. Uh, there hasn't been one for the 3DS yet. Final Fantasy thirteen. No. It's Pokemon, right? Everyone it's it was... Pokemon. Wait, it is Pokemon? It's a Pokemon We thought Pokemon game. was gay. Pokemon Black and White. Has a oh god web yes and is okay, yep. and is quite queer yep I there has been a 3ds one oh I did not know that the the current yeah, one XY. oh the one with the 3d Pokemon well, I thought that oh yeah of course well, even even XY like the, the last two have been on 3ds okay so I'm bad at this game too fine <laughs> <laughs> now. Mm. Fuck the dragon. If you want to, I believe Jeb has a friend who is quite heartily in favor of the idea of fucking rather than <laughs> punching you not, dragons. It, you never misheard that? No. I, oh, did the Dragon Ball theme song? Yeah, I know the song you're talking yeah. about. I've heard that thing like twice. Oh, okay. I, I didn't watch that show, but I still heard that theme song many times somehow. Yeah, it's it's kind of not very good. But in uh, last check, the, the new Dragon Ball game, they use a, a remix of Chala Head Chala, which is nice. This they do. It's wonderful. Uh, the, the original, really kind of whimsical Dragon Ball song, <laughs> which when it came over to the West, the dubbers were like, "What the hell's this shit? This doesn't sound like a fighting story. This is not hardcore." Anyway, um, now, however, we are going to take some time to talk about the upcoming Dragonification of Magic, The Gathering, and other news we've recently gotten. As in, like today, we got about I'll Magic: be The Gathering over here. What, you got more dragons? No, I just don't have much useful to contribute about dragons. Or magic cards, really. I haven't seen any of the new stuff. Well, you saw the... Well, except for the occasional card that Talon has waggled at me. Yeah. What what, what about Dragon Lord of Tarka? You like big... You like Gruul? Fox does like us. Well, I like red-green. I don't actually like Gruul very much. Well, technically this is the Tarka brood, so it's not technically Gruul. (laughs) But it is a red and green and five. It's an eight-eight for an eight-eight. That doesn't have a drawback. I'm not, I'm not saying I dislike all the individual cards, guys. <laughs> uh, I mean, this seems like right up your alley. I haven't seen the cards. To just jump in feet first on this, actually, I really... There's something about Ataka that annoys me. The thing about Dragonlord Ataka that bothers me, and this is a very petty thing, is the numbers aren't tight. It's an 8-8 for 7 that deals 5. If it was, say... An 8 8 for 7 that dealt 6, those numbers would have some, some connection to one another, but the 5 is just enough to annoy me. Yeah, that's not really my <laughs> kind of card. Hmm? It's okay, but it's. It's 8 power for 7 mana, which is usually regarded as. I'm not good. too excited about comes into play effects, and I'm not too excited about damage to the face effects, so I can see why he's a good card, but. Sheep. Sheep, whatever. Well, this this honestly matters. It, okay, it's okay, one fine. of the nice things. Magic the Gathering have done a conscious thing to say we want more women and more non-typical white dudes to be central and important in our story. That is cool and stuff. Um, Narset was it? Yes, Narset. Yeah. Speaking of which, Narset. Go on, uh, is, Jeff. Uh, worth mentioning here. 
she was uh, the con of the Jeskai clan in Cons of Tarkir, and now is a planeswalker called Narsa Transcendent. And uh, her part of her story is, or her backstory, her character is that she's autistic. Oh, that, like, they, they have made a really interesting turn for inclusiveness lately. I've been impressed with wizards. And of course, you know it's always worth mentioning uh, Alicia from Yep. Yeah. Yep. Though this connects to something I learned this week about the recent push by DC Comics to pick up authors and critics who had previously been busting their collective crotch about uh, representation and, um, well, about representation and progressive ideas. Well, we all know the miserable history that comic books have with uh, inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. Stop me if you've heard this one, Jeb. But essentially... (laughs) I'm not going to stop you. It's good for the podcast. Oh, yeah, good point. (laughs) Uh, Essentially... The New 52 launched while DC was hemorrhaging money. The whole point behind it was to try and reinvigorate their consumer base to make sure that they weren't just picking up. Anyway, um, so in addition to Dragons of Tarkia, which is coming, fine, Fox is not necessarily all that into it, despite the fact that it is a block pretty much exclusively about big, stompy creatures. I like big, smashy things. I'm cool with that. There'll probably be a lot of cards in it that I like. I'm not saying I don't. Yeah, um... Megamorph, which is an attempt to make the morph mechanic not... <laughs> yes, it's a silly so name. I, it's, a, it's a really dumb name. That's a development name that somehow never got replaced. <laughs> <laughs> they almost printed it with angle brackets around it. You know they did. <laughs> They're, uh... Well, one of the, uh... The, the, the Megamorph, uh... In development names was, like... Porf or something? Smorf. Smorf. <laughs> Smorf. Short for Supermorph. Smorf. <laughs> And Manifest, very briefly, was Borf, because they wanted a different morph. (laughs) (laughs) No. Megamorph just sounds like a DreamWorks movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the Mega... Look, Megamorph and Elder Dragons is my favorite Sentai series. (laughs) I'm a little annoyed that we have... Megamorph and the Elder Dragons! So I'm a little annoyed about this Megamorphing thing, because we know that there is a wheel of rare megamorphers that morph up for two mana. The green one is a ranger. So? He's a morphin... He's a oh megamorphic... <laughs> and, equally annoyed, that despite the fact that we have an excuse to because we have this primal setting and we've seen mastodons in it, we are dealing with megamorphs that do not feature dinosaurs or people turning into animals. So my animal fanboy thing is just being totally ruined. They need to Look, the, add... the raptor isn't the raptor isn't even a dinosaur. There is a mighty morphin raptor. Yeah. <laughs> they need to add a sixth character to this wheel in the artifact, just in the next set, <laughs> the final part of that wheel. <laughs> we only arrived at the last minute when things looked at their worst. Well, we interestingly, what? talking about transformation of characters, we know that there's going to be transform in the next Magic set. The, well, the, the final core set, really. Mm-hmm. Magic Origins. Magic Origins. Go ahead. It's going to feature characters who became the major planeswalkers. Liliana, Gideon, um, Chandra? Chandra, Jace, and Nyssa. Yeah. And they're going to have... It's not the Lorwyn 5 anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Ajani has finally stepped back a bit. And, uh, of course, Garrick after his last... Yes, uh, uh, Garrick. See, uh, last set in the sun. I've had enough of Garrick. 
Garrick also went a little batshit. <laughs> I Thanks, Liana. I'm a little disappointed seeing them go back to the older characters again. Um, old and new. I don't. I don't want to complain yeah, too well, much. Very it. old totally in this old. case. I, I probably very shouldn't be case. as pissed off by Liliana's name as I am. <laughs> I it, it just every time I hear it, it makes me imagine them, you know, putting together this list and going, "Well, there better be a girl in there somewhere." <laughs> it's true. The original list only had one woman, and it, oh it, wait, no, Chandra too. It's Chandra was one of the lower in five. It's yeah. like a symbol of tokenism, I guess. Um, it's. I, I'm not saying that itself is a serious problem, and I am definitely guilty of anagramming some names myself. And effectively what is going to be the final core set, Magic Origins, they're bringing back Transform and they're giving us cards that start as a creature and then transform into a Planeswalker. Okay, two things. You said bringing back Transform? Yes. Uh, I, which the, is Transform? The Innistrad mechanic of Transform. Oh, that! Huh. Yeah. Okay. Is that maybe going to have to include those awkward card marker things again? Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. I'm okay with that. Uh, I really can't stand those. Feel like they I, were. I never. I just never really liked that that particular card design in the first place. I'm not wild about it. It feels like it's very much a Mitgo thing, but it feels to me like it was a well. Everyone plays with sleeves, don't they? And then they went, "Oh shit, no! A bunch of people don't. We're going to have to do some." Well, the funny thing is, I love playing without sleeves. I always have. It's like, well, now I can't. <laughs> I, I don't mind the proxy cards as a solution to a problem, but they do have... They are a patch. They create that problem in the first place. Very garish. <laughs> no, my, my favorite uh, thing about transform the transform mechanic is that thanks to Manifest existing now, tr- there are now three-sided... <laughs> He's right. Hey, how do they work on uh, online? On Mitgo. Yeah. Does it actually <laughs> flip them each time? So it's just like they have a third side that vanishes? There's just a little animation of, like, flipping them, yeah. <laughs> Sadly, yeah. Again, Transform feels like a Mitgo mechanic. It's it's a little bit gamey uh, simple, but, you know. Um, okay, the other thing. I like what it, I like what it represents. Yeah. Like, I, I like what it's analogous to. But the, the whole mechanic of flipping the card upside down just... Uh... Yeah. It doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. I had a similar problem. I'm sure you have a made-up word for that, too. <laughs> he's he's thinking about it. I do, but I don't want to say it now. Mm. <laughs> it's actually a made-up I'm word. I'm sorry. It's ludesthetic. Ludesthetic. Yeah, you I know. definitely made that There's one Nothing up. wrong with ludesthetic. No, well... I in, have a ludesthetic. In game terms, kinesthetic is the aesthetics of movement within the context of play. So you know a game has good kinesthetics when you can feel when it feels good to move around, like Hotline Miami. The responsiveness of those characters that has good kinesthetics, like uh, like uh, uh, Vanquish, Vanquish, Guitar Hero, Guitar Guitar Hero has amazing kinesthetics. If the games, so really quickly with regards to Dragons of Tarkia, a lot of the creatures, a lot of the cards we've seen so far are just big stompy things that wreck the board. I'm not particularly against any of those, but. Ahead of time, I would just like to suggest, if you are in the colors for them, you probably want to pick up the rare Megamorphers. The white one that pops a creature with a toughness of four or more, the blue one that counters a spell, the black one that smothers something, and the green one that returns a card from your graveyard to your hand. 
and I'm going to bet the red one is going to be pretty freaking good too. Just a guess. Plus, if you get all five, you can combine them together. To... <laughs> He's giving me this look. You know, you know what? I'm gonna. You know what? I'm gonna go on a limb here and say that the the red one is going to be a bit more niche than you think. It's going to be a threat and effect. Yeah, it'll it'll probably be a threat and effect. It probably won't be nearly as applicable as Den Protector because Den Protector looks nuts. Which is threat. Threaten is gain control for a turn. Ah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that'll always be grab the reins in my mind. <laughs> sure, Crasher Elemental, the triple blue 3-3 three, three that we've been shown. I don't think that's quite as good as the preview was making it out to be. I don't think it deserves to be compared to Morphling. Tell me what it is. Uh, it's no Morphling. It's no Morphling. No. It's triple blue for a 3-3 three, three, mm-hmm. with Megamorph, four and a blue. And for one blue, it exiles itself and returns to the battlefield face down. And for one colorless, it can get plus one, plus zero, sorry, plus one, minus one, or minus one, plus one. So effectively, it can huh. hit for five and it can protect itself. But it yeah, doesn't. But... I, that's, it's got all the earmarks, it's got almost all the earmarks of that, that Morphling-esque creature, the, the, the blue control finisher, like, like an Aetherling, like yeah. a Morphling, like a Pearl Lake Agent. Except for one thing, and this one doesn't have evasion. Yeah, it can't get through. That's what I was going to say. Like, the thing about Morphling is, aside from everything else, it flies, right? It can fly, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, you look at look at this set, how many things with five toughness are going to be standing on the ground, quite happily running your dude into it all day? Yeah, even I can beat that. And I play stupid decks. <laughs> well, it still it still has the, unkill, the, the really hard-to-kill aspect. That's like, absolutely like, true. Uh, which, I mean, uh, a, a cheap blink creature like that is something that yep. blue always needs, but... Yeah, yeah. When I consider it's in the same... For now, it's in the same standard as Pearl Lake Agent. <laughs> On the other hand, if it's constantly bouncing out to keep itself from being killed, it's never going to sort of grow or do anything much. So it's it's just going to be an annoyance, really. And it can only make a morph up to a 4-4. Yeah, like it, it's going to lose that counter every time it bounces, so it's not like... An, can repeat this. It's not like it says, turn me back face down so you can flip me again. That would be that some- would be scary. That would be somewhat scary. But yeah, broadly speaking, it's a set with a lot of potential. There are going to be lots and lots of, you know, there's going to be a lot of draft blowouts because this is a format that's having uncommon 6-6 flyers. There are going to be people who have their days <laughs> at the pre-release just totally wrecked. And that'll be okay. There's an uncommon, there's an uncommon four floor, uh, uncommon four four flyer, uh, that when it attacks you get six mana for free. Yeah. There's, there's also an uncommon four four flyer that if you get two of them and any way to give either of them a plus one plus one counter, you have arbitrarily large creatures. That's nice. <laughs> That's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. Let's... We haven't even mentioned the other thing. Yes, Jeff? We haven't mentioned Rebound. Oh, yeah, Rebound. Um, Another keyword? Or? Well, it just so happens Rebound works out excellently well because Rebound is a mechanic where, which we already saw before in a block that came before that's coming back. Rebound spells, you cast them. It's rebounding. They exile themselves. The beginning of the next upkeep, you cast them again. So it's going to be like Hexproof accepted bounces. Ha! <laughs> no. No, Rebound was originally shown to us in Zendikar block. Why can't I have Hexproof only better? I won't do anything bad with it, I promise. 
I actually think that the idea of a of a hex proof that says whenever this would be targeted, return the targeting spell to its owner's hand. That's way too abusable. Oh no, I meant oh, like yeah. redirect the spell into something else instead of just ignoring it. Hmm. A quicksilver effect. That's actually kind of a yeah. yeah. I I'm a massive fan of hex proof. I I like creatures. I like creatures that endure, and I don't have to worry too much about them. And ultimately, I prefer I, shroud to hexproof. I'll be honest. <laughs> ultimately, I like my. You prefer shroud to hexproof? I do, in terms of fairness. Yeah. Oh, fa- yeah. Well, I'm not saying you should have hexproof. I'm saying I should have hexproof. <laughs> Again, <laughs> Fox's views on fairness continually push her away from white. I'm still convinced she's. I'm blue. not very white. I'm not blue. I'm pretty sure you're a Temor character. I'm red green. Yeah. Well, and green-red. And you like a lot of science. And I like how pretty white is. Just saying. So white comes and sits in my camp with me. <laughs> I won't bite it, Not as long much. as it's pretty. <laughs> speaking of speaking of Timur, of Timur uh, Sarkin's new ultimate lets you get all of your dragons and put them on the battlefield. Yes. God, they're really pushing this dragon theme, ain't they? Oh, yeah. There are more dragons in this they, set they, than any set beforehand. They, they said it is the dragonest dragon to ever dragon. Alright, so I am red green, green white, or green right red, green white, the real that, all three of them. Yep. Uh, I don't consider anything smaller than a 5-6 to be fat, and I like winning creature combats more than I actually like killing my opponent. What's the card in the set that's for me? Alright, let's see. How about, how about, uh, you s- Nothing less than a five six is is fat. I'm pretty sure Dromoka is a thing. Dr- yes, Dr- Dromoka is a five seven. Dromoka is a yep. Dromoka is definitely Fox's thing. After some interrogation, we have found a card in the set for Fox. Dragon Lord Dromoka can't be counted. Flying lifelink five seven. Opponents can't cast spells during your turn. <laughs> Yep, that's for me. <laughs> that's a special little fox present all to. wrapped up in green white paper. You know, uh, also, of course, the legendary creature part means that uh, uh, Dramoka would certainly fit well in your... Oh, uh, yeah, he's going into Sisei's chosen... army. She going into Sisei's army. She! Is Dramoka she? Silumgar and Otajar, uh, sorry, and Ojutai are men, the rest are women. You can't tell with dragons. I know, I know, They're dragons. Oh, I know Colagon is. I know Colagan is because uh, her Spanish name uh, translates to Dragon Lady Colagan. Oh, that's cool. Kind of cool. Colagan uh, is also... Colagan's Elder Dragon form pretty much kicks my Carador and Graveyard decks in I, the butt. That's what's throwing me. They're all called <laughs> Dragon Lord. Yeah. And I'm not used to anyone but me using Lord as if it's a gender-ambiguous term. See, Colagan's uh, second... Colagan's well, third ability, because why not have more is whenever an opponent casts a creature... <laughs> because flying haste and everything else has haste is good enough. Yeah. Whenever an opponent casts a creature or planeswalker <laughs> spell with the same name as a card in his or her graveyard, that player loses 10 life. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Colagon's ability set effectively in Commander doesn't do anything to most people, but if you're casting the card from your graveyard, it has the same name as something in your graveyard. Ah. So Colagon says every spell Carador casts costs ten life. Holy cow! Every right. lingering souls costs ten life. Every flashback. 
I ever tell you how much I don't like flashbacks? <laughs> <laughs> See, that interests me. I like. I, I don't. I don't have a firm opinion on flashback. Which is funny because, like in Duels of the Planeswalker 2014, I my favorite deck is a green black uh, spider spawning deck. Yeah, it, it cares about flashback all over the place. <laughs> well, just the spider spawning. Just you know, I, I like to put a whole lot of spiders, my, my legion of spiders, <laughs> onto the battlefield. But I, I don't, I, I, I guess when I started playing Magic, uh, it was always to me it was when a thing goes to the graveyard, it's. It's done. It's unless there's extremely extenuating circumstances, you have to work to get that back. Yeah, flashback. Kinda. Rather than it's just, rather than it's just. Oh, it's like it's like a bigger hand that doesn't run out. Yeah, I can grok that. I can grok being frustrated by that. And yeah, it, which is why when I finally got to see the uh, dredge decks work, oh, <laughs> you, you came to Fox's side of this argument very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> You are not alone, Fox. I am on your side. It's sort of a... Our group has developed a compensatory effect for any kind of graveyard play. <laughs> just, basically, the Everyone first time Talon plays scripts. any given deck, he scares the shit out of us by replaying something from his graveyard, and then immediately we all go, Right! Talon's deck is the terrifying one! Let's all kill it as quickly as humanly possible! He basically... He's, he's become the heel in our play group somehow. I got... You are, you are the Dolph Ziggler. I got hit in the face with a turn for a chroma, and everyone's like, yeah, get Talon, he's the scary one, not the person with the turn for a chroma. Talon, you know, that, that means that you are the Dolph Ziggler. This was even worse, because the reason that I had a turn for a chroma, I distinctly recall, was because you played... Is Explosive Vegetation or New Frontiers? It was or? New Frontiers, yeah. Because you played New Frontiers. Because I said, it's more fun if everyone gets to cast spells. Turns out, yes! <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> um, but... I was just going to say, speaking of abusing uh, abusing graveyard mechanics, you know how there's that Delve thing in, uh, in the last two sets? I've heard of Delve, yeah. You know how Dig Through Time is a card? Yeah, Dig Through Time is a card that costs 10 mana. Yeah, never, but yes. <laughs> oh, this... Uh, let, let me guess, let me guess. You can draw cards and it costs less based on what's in your graveyard? No, Delt Dig Through Time is look at the top seven cards of your library, pick two, put them in your hand, it costs ten mana, it's an instant, it has Delve. Oh, so, Delve well, is a cost to our good, isn't it? Yeah, it reduces yes. the cost based yeah. on the cards in the graveyard. Yeah, yeah. You, you exile. So, yeah, it costs two... And now, thanks to Narset, <laughs> Narset's uh, minus two abil- loyalty ability uh, gives the uh, gives the next instant or sorcery spell you cast from your hand rebound. Oh, good grief! So look at the top fourteen. Cards. She comes. She comes. She comes out with six loyalty for four mana. Yes, yeah, when you use her plus one, when you use her plus one, it is very likely she's going to survive the next turn. With at least two loyalty, and your opponent doesn't want to kill her. Fucking planeswalkers. Your opponent doesn't want her to go down to two. If she dies, she makes. Mm. If she dies when she activates her minus two, she makes the dig through time easier to cast. (laughs) 
And, and by the way, it doesn't have to be dig through time. It could be just a good old common treasure cruise, because that's still good. You know, it occurs to me that this might be why I have a giant portrait of the samurai of the pale curtain in my collection. Rebound originally appeared in Zendikar Block, and as it happens, I've I've heard that Zendikar Block was a really fun block that a lot of Magic players uh, remember fondly. Zendikar, I uh, I never got a chance to. <laughs> I never got a chance to experience it because I was on hiatus from playing the game when, I, when it was a thing. I, I really liked Zendikar and Innistrad, and they seem to have passed without a blip for the most part. But every time I look back and look at the shit that was in there, I'm like, how did, how was this not, wait, were people just asleep or something? Okay, Zendikar and Innistrad were both made under New World Order rules, so they were more approachable. They also had the reevaluated, rebalanced view on creatures, creature combat, and card drawing. Yeah, yeah. So, broadly speaking, creatures were better. Spells weren't as broken. White was able to do things that weren't just wrath shit. Um, <laughs> green got prey upon. Green got fight, which is amazing. Fight. Such a good guy. Love fight. Innistra. Sorry, uh, Zendikar. For a start, limited in Zedekar was amazing tempo. But this is this is adding to my list of DLC T-shirt slogans. I want. I like fight. <laughs> there's a there's a rare, rare green dragon in uh, Dragons of Tarkir that every saw. time <laughs> every time a creature you have fights, it gets bigger. Yep. I had never considered using. Uh, like, I, I grokked that fight was a keyword now, but I hadn't considered that that meant you could use fights. And that excites me a lot. Yep. <laughs> that is a cool thing. Well, if nothing else, you can now start using it as a drawback. Imagine mm. that. A green creature, like a 3-3 three, three for 2. When it enters the battlefield, it fights a creature you control. You have to have something else, or it'll fight itself. <laughs> Actually, it's very much a red card. Anyway. That, yeah, that's... That sounds like an orc. That sounds like a goblin card. Yeah. You could spin it green-red if the idea was just that it's... You know, it, it, its instinct is to eat a smaller creature, but it would seem wrong if there wasn't red in there. Anyway, uh, Zendikar's original block was... Limited environment was very much tempo-driven. It was pretty much, um, for a lot of new players, it was 101 in, yes, a 2-1 for 2 is good enough, even if it doesn't do anything amazing. Get creatures out there, get attacking. And then... They released the next part, the second part of that block, and suddenly all the breaks hit because control tools were given access. Sorry, uh, players had access to control tools in Worldwake, and then you had Rise Worldwake. Uh, wasn't there a card that came from Worldwake that was pretty good? There were quite a few cards that came from Worldwake that were pretty good. I'm thinking, I'm thinking of one that uh, uh, when it when it came out, uh, like the the Pro Tour that year, or that <laughs> that for that set, something like all every top eight deck had four copies of this one particular card. Sorry, my brain just threw a cog and I almost said Mutavolt. <laughs> no, you're talking about... Isn't that Golgari Grave Troll? I'm thinking... <laughs> I'm talking about Jace the Wallet Sculptor. Yeah. The Wallet Sculptor. <laughs> Jace peaked at about $80. <laughs> and you needed four of him. I remember hearing a lot of the, the tech at the time... Hearing people talk about the tech at the time, it's like, well, this... Jace is really good. How many do we put in here? Because, like, you can't have two out at the same time, so you don't want four, and then eventually it's like, you know what, why don't we just run four? You need four, because <laughs> your opponent will have their own Jace, and that'll kill your Jace, so you don't want to lose the Jace fight. Hiss! It's no longer a thing, so... 
Yeah, that was the last time I remember standard bannings. They killed <laughs> Jason Standard. Zendikar was not perfectly tuned for constructing, <laughs> alright? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna defend it on that front. Am I correctly recalling some kind of little promo manga in Japan where Jace and, Tra- and Chandra were like... Chandra? You know, uh, Animes, kiss, yes. Kiss, slap, no, slap, slap, kiss, boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. Yeah, Moi, Moi Jason, Moi Chandra, yeah. I, I need to actually get my hand <laughs> just because it exists. And it's really cute. <laughs> I, I just love what uh, Japanese promo stuff does to Western stuff that's trying to be overly serious. You can actually get uh, the, the Moe, Jace, and Chandra cards. <laughs> That's awesome. Anyway, Zendikar the first time around was a very well-liked block. It taught a lot of people how to play Limited. It then taught them ways to handle variations on Limited. It led to Rise of the Eldrazi, where our ideas of what a big creature was were allowed to be completely <laughs> shaken up. And there were things done... By Mark Rosewater's own admission, things were done in Rise of the Eldrazi and Zendikar that he would like to do again better. Let me guess, Annihilator was kind of a mistake? Annihilator is an example of a, of a mechanic that's very powerful and very easy to dislike. Yeah, that sounds about right. No one rates Annihilator highly on surveys. No one says, oh, I really like Annihilator, even the people using them. Right. This doesn't feel fair. It really doesn't. It also doesn't feel interesting. It's like my dude is going to attack... Well, my my Eldrazi is going to attack, obviously, and I'm going to get you to sacrifice some permanents, which usually means I eat some of your land. But that doesn't really mean anything in most cases. It not used particularly cleverly either. Like, I mean, I, I guess I could have seen, like, on Fragile things with Annihilator, maybe, so you were debating whether or not you should swing with it, but they put it on Eldrazi. They put it on things that were, like, 10s and 13s, and, oh, I wonder if I'm gonna swing with it. Gosh. The whole point behind the Eldrazi. The only thing that can, the only thing that can stop, uh, Emrakul is 15, these 15 flying squirrels. Go! <laughs> no magic card that's just flying squirrel yet is there? No. There really should be. I mean, there is, that is a thing. There is a creature that is a groundling pouncer. They should have made that when they were trying to think of ideas for little green flyers. And groundling pouncer in development was one hybrid green-blue for a 1-1 one, one, that for one, hy- one hybrid green-blue gets plus one, plus one and flying. Oh, that's a plane or something. Yeah. So it was originally a flying squirrel. <laughs> um, the... I, I, I also quite like that after they went, Emrakul is the biggest thing in magic. They waited a year and then they said, alright, green has something that ties with Emrakul. Good! It is as it should be. Uh, how, when did Cold Snap come along? Cold Snap was way, oh. way before this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, cause, so then they have Merit Lodge then? Merit Lodge, sorry Fox? It was before Lawwin, wasn't it? Yeah, Cold Snap was before Lawwin. Um, Merit Lodge is the biggest token generated by the game that isn't a, a, you know, a star value, because otherwise Riptide Replicator can make the biggest thing in magic. You just oh, have like to generate a copy of something, mana. obviously. Yeah, um, but Mar- yeah, the Marit Large Taken is a is a 2020 indestructible flyer. Good grief. Whereas World Spine Worm is a 15-15-4-9. So we have three sets on Magic's Horizon. We have Dragons of Tarkia, which are going to give us giant, stompy, dragony things. 
We have Magic Origins, which is going to give people who like Planeswalkers, and particularly the stories of these Planeswalkers, backstory on them. We're going to get to see Gideon Jura when he was Kithion Ura, which is a Greek name. Um, that was what I meant to ask you about before. Ooh. How is this the last core set? Explain that. Magic the Gathering announced about six months ago now that core sets were being phased out in favor of a new model of big block, small block, big block, yeah. small block, big block, small block. However, they already had this set lined up. So they announced ahead of time, we're going to stop doing these, so this is going to be the last Okay, ep- so it was a normal core set, and then they renamed it when they realized it was going to be the last one. Yeah, it was going to okay. be M16. That makes sense. It's going to be a gun. Anyway. Well, all the more reason to change its name. And after we're done with Tarkia, we're going back to Zendikar. I'm into that. <gasps> I'll find a way to make Innistrad mate with Lorwyn. <laughs> Everything is pretty! Lorwyn doesn't have humans. <laughs> ah. Huh. I've spoken a fair bit about a lot of the cards in Dragons of, Tark- of Tarkia. Are there any things that stand out to you, Jeb, that you're going to want to get your hands on? Uh, well, might as well go right to it. About the uh, There's a cycle of commands for the broods, uh, harkening back to... When were those uh, the original like cryptic and uh, primal commands? They were Lorwyn. When were those? They pre- were pre-mythic. They were Lorwyn? That would explain why these are rare, then. Yeah. It? Now, commands, you explained you to me the other day, they're four things pick two? Yes. Yes. I do like the pick multiples uh, cards that they've made. Well, I guess they're not that recent, are they? They, they started cropping up a fair while ago in different forms. Uh, the, I love that they decided the, the you should just be able are, to format it as a list. That was a great move. The the, the commands were really... Were really uh, the, 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 four, the, the, the commands were... I understand. Really, really powerful. Like, you can look at Cryptic Command and just tell that card it's not fair. <laughs> Counterspell, draw a card. That's the worst thing it can do. <laughs> the, worst thing it, the worst thing it does is dismiss. You were telling me about a green-red one of these? Yes. Uh, Atakas Command. One red, one green. Three damage to each opponent. Put a land from your hand onto the battlefield. Players can't gain life this turn, and I don't even care at that point. I can't remember what the fourth one is. Well, the fourth one is all your creatures get plus one, plus one in reach. That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. And then you were like, and it costs two. And I'm sort of going, okay, if if you put a land onto the battlefield and stopped opponents from gaining life, that's probably worth about two. If you pick the other two. (laughs) And it's an instant. Yeah. Holy cow, yeah. It's a really good card. The blue-white command is Ojutai's command, which is... Which is the, the whole the whole brew together with the selfie. It's a beautiful... <laughs> it's beautiful art once you know what a selfie stick is. <laughs> no way! Well, it's a monk. And also you can't unsee that. Yeah, because the original... The art at first glance is a monk and a whole bunch of the other monks and Ojutai in the background all looking down into the frame that the character is looking through. And one of the monks... Sorry. Is holding a staff that they're pointing out of the frame. Right. So it just looks like, ah, I point my staff and It looks like dramatically a threatening monk is going to hit you with a stick. But when you know what a selfie stick is, you look at it and you go, this is is a group selfie. (laughs) And Ojitai's photobombing it in the background with one claw up. (laughs) (laughs) No way! It's the greatest picture ever. that is so good. That's the kind of thing that makes me want another unset just for the artwork. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, 
Oh God! Can you imagine Ojutai's selfie stick <laughs> as uh, equipment? Oh yeah, Matt. We okay. There was one period in our lives where we had a decent-sized disposable income, and it happened to be when Unhinged was released. So we drafted a box of Unhinged. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> no one likes drafting Unhinged. No one <laughs> likes it. Some some dick at the table will scoop up every single frazzled editor. And will kill people because Frazzle Editor has protection from every card in Unhinged. Oh. Uh, by the way, Ojutai's command is... Jeez. <laughs> Return a creature card with a converted mana cost of two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Gain four life, counter-target creature spell, or draw a card. Pick two. By the way, Ojutai's card is pretty impressive, too. Uh, the 6-4 prowess thing? Uh, sh- uh, he's 5-4, has Hexproof as long as he's a Oh, cat. yeah. And if he deals combat damage to a player, you impulse. Hey, by the way, yeah. these names are all drawing from a real from real world languages again, right? Yeah. I like seeing fantasy worlds that, that aren't just more, you know, hey, it's Europe. Your art Europe or Japan. With a distinctly centered on England feeling to it. I, I quite like Doug Bayer commenting that they were going to include a NGU name, and they realized that every English language person would not be able to pronounce it. Counter target non creature spell, or return target permit to its owner's hand, or target creature gets minus three, minus three till end of turn, or destroy target planeswalker. That's for a blue, a black, and three, so it costs five to kill a planeswalker and a great creature. Well, yeah, <laughs> this is one of those cards where you're never going to come out of it behind. Nope. That's really strong. <laughs> Alright, that's all this week for the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Thank you all for listening. That's been Jeb. That's been Fox. And that's been Talon. Tune in next week when Talon conducts his two-hour seminar on the language of the Tonberry. I see you're trying to force the Dame Judy Dench references to get into the edit, but just so you know, it's kind of more funny now if it doesn't. (laughs) Put that shit in there.